You are listening to the weekly podcast of Transformation Life Church in Muskegon, Michigan. We pray you enjoy today's message. We're going to do, uh, we're gonna do uh, um, uh, communion later today. So die, 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 stand up. She's the pink lady. She drives a pink Jeep. I was going to steal her Jeep while she was out of town and go to the, you know, up at Silver Lake, and then everything in it was pink, and I was worried about driving it for that long. <laughs> I just wasn't sure what would happen, you know, but she's the pink lady. But uh, so Di, it's been on her heart now for a while, you know, that we would do communion more regularly, and um, it's kind of a unique way to do it, but I just want to just, you know... Tell her thank you for all of her effort because she's putting it all together. And then uh, help me know, uh, I just forgot the name. The bread place. Hodgepodge Bakery. I don't know why I forgot the name. I knew it. So Hodgepodge Bakery, which a lot of times we have all that stuff out there you guys get on your way out of here. Um, Thanks to Cynthia who works there and her boss that is so giving. They bring stuff in for us. But HodgePodge actually made specifically for us this unleavened bread. So hey, we've we've never eight-hour process. I don't know if it was meant to taste good, but anyway. Um, yeah, McCracken. Norton and McCracken, way down there. Really? Look at there, best chocolate cake. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up while we can't eat, Rob. (laughs) Yeah, that's what he's doing. Let me tell you something, man. If you're, if you're not participating in the fast, now listen, you know, it's not about outward appearance, obviously. And, but if you're not participating, let me encourage you to participate. If you've never done it before, uh, why not do something new in a new year, right? You make New Year's resolutions. How about just consecrating ourselves more for God in the new year? Just just try it. Let me tell you this. Uh, for about two weeks, I felt horrible. I was physically having, you know, yeah, okay. I, you know what's really weird is I get up here to preach. The anointing shows up, and I feel good. I walk off this platform, and I don't feel good at all. Honest to God. I have walked in here on Sundays not feeling good at all, but the anointing of God shows up. Then I preach, and then I go home, and I'm, I'm not feeling good. Right? So I basically started uh, fasting on Monday. Monday was football. I couldn't fast. I had to eat pizza. Uh, and, by, and by the way, for all of you Michigan State fans, thank you so much for showing up and cheering on Michigan. I'm pretty sure that was what pushed them over the edge to the win. 
Uh, but anyway, uh, so thank you so much, you know, for, and, and uh, Chris Gunn loves Michigan State so much, he even had a Jesus in the Street shirt done in green and white. I thought it was kind of sacrilegious a little bit, but, but I was a little, you know. So anyway, uh, Linda went and got me one done in blue and gold, so we're good. We can stand next to each other now and hang out. But anyway, uh, so I started uh, technically Wednesday, I, I started the process of fasting, and uh, just in, I don't know what it's been now, uh, three, four days, whatever, uh, just in that short window of time, I feel so much better already, just physically better. See, you, you see, sometimes we joke around about stuff, and it's okay to joke around, but sometimes when I'm joking, I'm actually uh, telling the, speaking truth even in the joke, Right? And uh, we were joking the other day about uh, uh, somebody on one of our group chats for the leadership team uh, put on there something about praying for the Spartans for 2024. And I made the comment. I said, well, you may want to start fasting because some things just don't get, they don't get handled without prayer and fasting. But, you know, uh, but I'm just some things, I'm joking, right? I, I root for Michigan State when they play Ohio State. Sometimes. Sometimes. The only time. And then, you know, it's true. I do. And uh, anyway, I'm just saying, sometimes physically we're, we're, we can be struggling with something, right? Sometimes physically we're not feeling the greatest. And I know we have doctors, and I'm not one that says don't ever go to a doctor. I'm not one that does that, although I never go to a doctor. <laughs> My wife yells at me all the time. We say, well, what's your A1Cs or your this or your that? And I'm like, what are those? <laughs> what's, what's going in and getting a physical? You know what I mean? I mean, I had to go get a physical every two years when I had my CDL license. I don't even do that anymore. But, so I'm, I'm not against it. I'm just saying I, I'm just not that person. I'm like, I, I, I avoid them. And, uh, uh, but you know, sometimes when you're praying and asking God, or I just don't feel good, and the answer can be in fasting. The answer can be in consecrating yourself. Well, I can't do it. Oh, absolutely. I agree. You know, there was a time in my life where fasting got to a point where it was easy. And I think you call it living a lifestyle of fasting, right? Because it becomes a habit. And I used to live there, and then I haven't really done that that much. And uh, I told Vicki the other day, going down the road, I said, man, I never thought. There was like three times this in 2023 I thought about fasting and made it like three days maybe. And I, I just caved. I'm like, man, I've never struggled so much in my life to fast. And so then it was actually Vicky that said, are we going to fast in January? I was like, oh, yeah, we probably should do that. You know, and uh, I know she's more spiritual than me. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> and, uh, but 
you know, so I started in the other day. Yesterday, I almost quit the fast. I was like, I was like, you know what? We just, I'm like, I don't know. And I told her going down, I go, I have never struggled so much to do something I know God wants us to do. And I pushed through it, and I didn't, I didn't break it. I didn't do anything. I pushed through it. But I'm telling you, you say, well, I can't do it. No, absolutely you can't do it in and of yourself. But this is the year God opens doors. But he ain't looking for people that want to walk through their own door by themselves. He's, he's looking for people who want to walk through the door God has set for them and walk through that door in and with him. It's a whole nother, I, I just feel in my spirit like this, what God's calling is for the body of Christ is a whole nother thing. It is not what we have ever been through before. It's a new thing. It's a new thing. Can I tell you this? It's, it's very interesting. Jesus said, I am the door. Is that right? Is that the Bible? He said, I am the door. You want to hear something really interesting? I, I, I just look at things. Goofy stuff comes to my mind and I got to look. Do you know what the time frame is from Adam to the birth of Jesus? 4,000 years. The number four, he steps into, uh, out of eternity into the natural realm and says, hey, by the way, I'm the door. You're not, you're not catching anything I'm saying, are you? You're like, mm, okay, whatever. No, this is God with a divine timetable, right, who, who basically says, listen, I'm going to do all of this. He even said at one time, I don't want to dwell with my people anymore. I don't even want to be around them anymore. M Moses had to say, God, <laughs> right? But here he is, he's got this plan, and he structures it all before the beginning of time. See, you can't even comprehend this stuff. But if you just get a glimpse of it, the understanding of the greatness of the God in whom we say we serve, before the foundations of the earth, before time existed, when all there was was God, he already said, I'm going to create man. Yes, he's going to fail, and then I've got to come up with a plan. And I told Satan in the garden that the seed of the woman will crush your head. And he said, the seed of the woman, back here. And then he puts him at year 4,000. And then Jesus comes out and says, I am the door. 
Was it a coincidence? I just wonder, you know, I think sometimes we as, a, as, a, as people, people in general, we just, we call everything a coincidence. We think everything is, well, that just happened. Get that out of your head. Start thinking that God's God. And he does things on his timetable. And he does things the way he wants them done. And he sets up patterns and principles for us to follow, to know who he is. I am God. I change not. And if we know God doesn't change, then we can figure out. And I, I know there's lots of studies out there. Uh, I've been uh, really interested in, in just looking at some of that stuff. But, you know, the, they study the calendar and the, you know, the Hebrew calendar and the, and, and, and the Gregorian calendar that we're on. And, and then they, they do some studies with the planets to try to establish time and and it's very interesting that the closer they get to really establishing true time, the more accurate the Bible becomes. Like, I'm pretty sure this is how God will work. Somebody doesn't believe in God and is going to step out to prove God doesn't exist and in the end proves he exists. That's how God works. See, like... When somebody says, oh, you're not all that in a bag of chips, we get worried about them saying it. When they say to God, you're not God, he just says, prove me, and while you're doing it, you're going to find out I am. I'm not worried about it. Because God's value, God's worth, God's power doesn't change because somebody doesn't believe in him. And then we have the same thing on the inside of us. We are, we are his workmanship. We are his. And then somebody else doesn't believe in you, that's okay. Doesn't change anything. Just changes they don't believe in you. And, and, and that's the biggest thing that we got to get into a place where the, the people don't dictate what we think of ourselves. Now, I'm not talking about becoming full of pride. I'm just talking about having confidence in who we are in Christ. And when somebody says, oh, you're not all that in a bag of chips, just look at them and go, that's all right. I don't need to be in your eyes. I make myself of no reputation. That's what Jesus did. Let's follow Jesus until we get to the point of no reputation. Then we're like, oh, hold on a minute. I don't like having no reputation. I want people to like me. I want people to think great things of me. I want people to, you know, have a lot of respect for me. And, you know, well, you know what? The people that knew who Jesus was, they had it. The people that didn't know who Jesus was, they didn't. But it didn't change Jesus. So when we walk in Christ and we become of no reputation, you will have relationships and friendships of people who know who you are who will walk with you, and those are the ones you rely on, and those that look at you from a distance and want to criticize or want to bring down who you are, ignore them. Jesus told his disciples, if you're not received, knock the dust off your feet and move on. Now, 
I'm not saying this like ignore the people in the world. I'm just saying don't let them have control over who you are. Don't let them. They're not your creator. They're not your God, or at least we say they're not. Right? And if they're not your God, then don't let them be your God. Don't let them dictate. Let's talk about the tabernacle. Last week I talked about the tabernacle. You had the outer court. The holy place in the holies of holies, the outer court being the way, the door into the holy place being the truth, the door into the holy of holies being the life, the door that we are focused on for 2024 is the door that leads us into the presence of God and from there everything else comes together. It's the presence of God can be with you no matter where you're at. Now, in this time, there was a thing called the tabernacle in the wilderness that Moses built, right? And in this time period, the Holy of Holies was where the presence of God dwelt. You had to get into the Holies of Holies to get into the presence of God, and there was only a select few that could get into that place. But this is a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ. But now we live in a new covenant. Jesus came. I was trying to teach the youth this the other day about the simpleness. A couple weeks back, we talked about Jesus came. I wonder if any of them even remember I said it. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And he changed my life. There's the gospel. How complicated. That's what my pastor's been teaching. I've been listening. Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And Jesus changed my life. And he can change yours. Right? Now, if we believe Jesus can change our life, then our life should be changed. Right? If you believe, then you will walk in it. If you don't really believe, then you, you won't. But the tabernacle is a foreshadow of Jesus. And Jesus came. Well, before we get to Jesus coming, let's go to Exodus 25. Exodus 25 talks about the building of the tabernacle. Moses, talking to God, gets direction. There's a concept. I wonder how many people could stop asking for direction on Facebook. Um, I just ignore them, but I do see them. 
Exodus 25, you can start verse number 2, and, and it says this, Speak unto the children of Israel that they may bring an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take of them, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram skins dyed red and badger skins and uh, shittim wood oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and the sweet incense. Onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. It is very interesting to me that God wanted to dwell among them which means he wants to dwell among us, that for them, for him to have a place to dwell, they had to sacrifice. Here's the funny part, though. You read that and you'd be like, oh, yeah, no big deal, right? I mean, how many think no big deal? They just brought it. Do you ever think about a nation that just came out of slavery? They had just spent 400 years in slavery. And God says, give me this. And we read it so flippantly sometimes. We're just like, yeah, all right, next. Next verse. You just took people that had been in slavery for 400 years who thought they were going to get freedom, wound up in a desert, moaning and groaning and complaining, and then said, hey, bring me all this stuff. Do you ever think, like, where did it come from? I mean, if you know the story, you know where it came from. But if we read it and think about the, the time frame in which we're living, and we would learn a principle, what's the principle? Now, I could talk about offering. Some people might get mad if I did. It's okay. Uh, or I could just simply talk about a mindset. Because these Israelites, the Hebrews that came out of Egypt after being slaves for 400 years, had accumulated all of this stuff from the people that held them as slaves. In other words, they didn't get it on their own. God provided. Now, now let's, let's think about uh, today's term. Because, like, you know, the Bible's irrelevant today. You know, it doesn't make sense. It's old. How does that apply? You know? Uh, let's think about this. And So, how many think a job is a good thing? Okay. All right. Do you know you're a slave to your employer? Yes. 
if I said, hey, come be a slave for me, you think it was a good thing? So, so we think we go to work somewhere, and now they dictate our life, right? They tell you when to go to work, when you can't go to work. They tell you what they're going to pay you. Yeah, oh, no, I negotiate with them. Oh, sure you do. Sure you do. To a certain level, maybe. Right? So they dictate. They do all that. You now are a slave to your employer. Listen, I'm all in favor of, as a worker, as an employee, I've always had the mindset that once I'm here, you're paying me. We've agreed. I'll do whatever you say legally. Right? I mean, I remember working in a place where we were just weeding plants in a greenhouse. Just go out and pick weeds. But, you know, the crew that I was with, we weeded more plants in a day than any other crew there. Why? Well, I was there to work, not complain. I didn't care. I already agreed I was going to get paid the whole $4.75 an hour. I think that's about where I was at that time. And then go out into the... And I remember they would take a busload of us out and drop us off, scatter us down these greenhouses, and we had to eat. And I remember one day where the lady said to me, because I, I was a smart aleck back then. I know it's hard to believe, but I, I was a smart aleck back then. And uh, we used to, I used to harass this lady that would take us out there. And, uh, and one day she looked at me and she says, one more word out of you, I'm going to knock you out and throw you in a dumpster. And I, and I said to her, I said, that's fine, just don't punch out my time clock, because I really don't care what I'm doing while I'm paid. <laughs> right? As long as I'm getting paid. So, but we trade. So now, who provided the opportunity? See, your mind changes if you, if you look at it differently. Say, well, I work hard. Yes. But who gives you the strength to work? I've got a job. Yes. But who opened the door for that job? They're paying me. It's my money. Oh, really? If it was your money, you would have had to get the job on your own. You would have to have your own strength to work. Right? So the Israelites, these people wandering through the wilderness, they had an understanding that all of the stuff they had accumulated when they left slavery was given to them by God. They murmured and complained, but they still understood some stuff. And they had all of this stuff. And so when Moses gave the directive from God to build a tabernacle because God wanted to dwell with his people, and he said to do this, Ask them to give. They didn't. They said, okay, we're going to give. It's not ours anyway. We understand that it came from God. And we're going to give. They gave so much. Moses had to tell them to quit bringing it because they had too much. That's a mindset. When you understand that what you have has absolutely nothing to do with you except that you're obedient to God. He's opened up the door. He's given you the strength. 
He's given you the ability to earn. Deuteronomy says, I give you power to get wealth. When you understand that, then when God asks, you would give. So full of zeal, we'd have to say, stop bringing this stuff. We're out of room. And that's what happened. That's what happened. But do you know that this in reality is a direct fulfillment of a prophecy to Abraham? God spoke it years before. Exodus 35, verse 21 and 22. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offerings to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service and the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted, and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets, all jewels of gold, and every man that offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. They brought it all to build a place to build a place where God could dwell with them. How much do we play a part in God dwelling with us? They had to sacrifice. They built the place for God to dwell. Well, that's not how we live today. Oh, no, right. I get it. Jesus came, the veil was ripped, we don't need all of the ceremonies anymore, we have an advocate with Jesus, we have an avenue to the Father, we can be in his presence, he says come boldly before my throne. But there's something we still have to build for that to be true. Right? In Hebrews 10, verse 1 and 2 says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers, those that were coming, perfect. For then they would, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. Because the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. The writer of the book of Hebrews understood that if we ever got into a place where we felt like we didn't need God, 
we quit bringing our sacrifices. What was the purpose of the tabernacle? I've said it a couple times already. What was the purpose? Who, who orchestrated the making of a tabernacle? God. Not man. God. And he orchestrated it because he wanted to dwell with his people. See how this is, see how this is flipped? It was God who told Moses to make a place he could dwell because he wanted to dwell with his people. It wasn't the people asking to dwell with God. Matter of fact, when they were at Mount Sinai, they would have had an opportunity. God would have spoke to all his people, and they refused to go. They said, no, 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 Moses, you do it. We don't want to. We don't want to be in the presence of a holy God. Maybe that's why the Bible says nobody comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. Because I'm not so sure in and of our flesh we have a hunger for God. I don't, I don't know that we do. I think once we realize that without Him we're nothing... We have a desire to get to know Him, and then as we get in the Spirit, and the Spirit draws us, then we want a relationship. But it's not of ourselves. It is God that pours it into us. And that's a whole, if you just look at it that way, that's a whole new, like, concept. God gave the commandment to build the tabernacle because he desired to dwell with his people. It wasn't his people making a place for God because they wanted to dwell with him. And now if somebody, if you ever question if God really loves me, well, what do you think? He was the one that orchestrated the dwelling place, even in the old covenant. But he was also the one who sent his son. Go with me to John 1. I was going to make a slide for this, but I forgot. So I'll just talk it through you. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So, Jesus comes, he was with God, he was the Word, and then later on on John, in, in chapter 1, verse 14, we read that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And was... And we saw his glory as the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. If you look at the word, became flesh and dwelt among us. If we look at the word dwelt, in the Strong's Concordance, it's a number 4637. 
It's skinu. S-K-E, I'll spell it because I didn't make the slide. S-K-E-N-O-O, skinu. That's the word for dwelt among us. Here's the interesting thing. The temple was the foreshadowing of Christ. The actual interpretation of the word skinu is to fix one's tabernacle or abide in a tabernacle or tent. The word used in John 1, verse 14, is interpreted a tabernacle. I don't know. Some of that stuff just like makes gets me excited. I'm like, really? Really? Because we just read it like. But Jesus came. So what you got to know is Jesus was in the beginning with the Father, right? He was there when he said that the seed of a woman will crush the head of you. He was there in the beginning. He knew 4,000 years later, and he also knew before Moses ever made the tabernacle in the wilderness, that Moses was going to be instructed to make a tabernacle. And then he knew when he came in his flesh, he would say, hey, I'm here to tabernacle with you. What a, what a concept. There's no like, oh, what a great idea, God. What do you think if I go... I don't know. Let's think about that a little more. Maybe we can counsel with some people. No. The, it, was, it was set. It was set. And he already knew he was going. And he uses the terminology. Because, listen, the only reason I'm saying this to you is because he's using the terminology that the people he's speaking to understand. Because they have spent their whole life studying the five books of the Bible, memorizing them. And when he steps out of eternity into time, he speaks in a language that they're like, uh, really? That, are you saying that? And those that would catch it and believe it, knew what he was talking about. And those that didn't believe it knew what he said and denied it. Not that they didn't know what he said. They knew what he said. In the tabernacle, our ultimate goal is to get to the holy of holies in the tabernacle in right our ultimate goal is to get into the holy of holies where the presence of god dwells but we can't go into the holy of holies without going through steps you have to enter into the tabernacle via the outer court there was no other entrance 
into the tabernacle, but the one in the front. And you had to go in the front door. Huh? And then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't get to the Father except by me. You can't get to the presence of God lest you go through this process. Jesus even said, I am the good shepherd. I come in through the door. Anybody coming any other way is nothing but a thief and a robber. You can't rob God. You can't come in any other way. You have to go through the door. And when you get into the outer court, this is just like getting saved. It's, it's the same principle. You come into the outer court, and you're faced with the very first thing you see right in front of you when you come into that outer court is a brazen altar. This brazen altar was shaped in a way, it's, that's the best picture I could find. And I looked, too, for hours. I was so frustrated. I'm like, I ain't got time to keep looking. I need a better picture. This stinks. I even, I even uh, sorry for being that way. But anyway, I, I even went to a paid site and said, can I just pay for a high-definition picture of a, you know, but, hey, this is the one I found. Uh, anyway, I just wanted you to know I had hours into that picture. Don't look like it, but I did. The, this brazen altar, yes, yeah, this brazen altar, it, it's built out of the sacrifices of the people. They brought in all the stuff. They had to melt it down and create this altar based upon God's direction, telling them exactly how big, right? Exactly what's going to be on it. Everything is God's direction. They had to do that. Um, when you hear people say things like grab a hold of the horns of the altar, such spiritual language sometimes. Oh, that's amazing. I, what does that mean? Uh, they, they actually had these horns on the four corners of the altar. And so it's a reference to just getting into that altar area, grabbing the, four, the horns of the altar. There were actually horns on it, on the altar. It's, it's, it's spiritual talk that sometimes people in the world, they're like, whatever. You know, them people are crazy. What are they saying? Uh, the covering gate for the top of the altar was made from the censers used in the rebellion of Corinth. Think about that. You can read about that rebellion in Numbers chapter 16, <coughs> verse 38-39. The wood fire on the altar was to be kept burning at all times. You couldn't let the fire go out. 
each of the four corners of the square altar had a horn overlaid with bronze. Exodus 27. As a symbol of strength and protection. Certain rituals required the altar's horns to be smeared with the blood of the sacrifice. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 4. And they were used as a place to tie down a sacrifice. In Amos chapter 3, you'll read about how Amos prophesied that God would cut off the altar's horns to punish the rebellion of Israel. I know this is a lot of information. I was like, but I just want you to see some of the things. Uh, the brazen altar had four sides and four horns representing Jesus Christ, the cross. It's, it's an interesting thing when you look at the altar. The four corners. The Bible talks about the four corners of the earth. There's four corners to the cross, four corners to the altar, four corners of the earth. Here, there's, there's instruction given. When, when somebody comes to the tabernacle in the outer court and they have to bring a sacrifice, depending on who they were, it was different sacrifices. I'm not going to go in through all the sacrifices, but I'm just telling you, they had to come in, and they themselves, and this might be an area we get a little confused on, but they themselves would kill the animal. And then the priest got involved. See, the... The church of today, it's not the pastor that can kill you. It's you that has to do it. It wasn't the priest that did it. You didn't bring the sacrifice to the priest and have them do it. Right? When you come into that tabernacle in the outer court, you're looking at that, that altar, you have to decide you're going to make the sacrifice. Say, well, Jesus paid the price. I don't have to make the sacrifice anymore. No. Jesus said, we still have to lay our life down. We have to lay our life down. We have to pick up our cross. We still, we are just accepting the blood of Jesus as the covering for our sin that he paid the price. But we still have to take a sacrificial stance that we're going to give him our life. And if you don't think giving him our life is a sacrifice, that's why maybe we struggle so much with what true Christianity looks like. Because we don't look at it as giving our life to Jesus is a sacrifice. 
we look at it as giving our life to Jesus gets us everything we want. And if you think I'm wrong, just listen to a bunch of preachers on YouTube because that's all they preach. Give your life to Christ, you get everything you want. I don't know where that is in the Bible. You got to give your life to Jesus. That's a sacrifice. Right? And so you have to bring that in. Here's the thing. It's like accepting Christ. It's the same thing as accepting Christ. The blood would be taken by the priest into the Holy of Holies and dripped on the mercy seat. But the animal itself, the lamb, all of the parts of the lamb would be put on that altar and it would be, it would burn. When they talk about the sweet-smelling savor to God, it's a burning sacrifice. When we sacrifice our life, that it not be our will, but his will, when we sacrifice our life, then that fragrance to God becomes a sweet-smelling Savior. When we, when we dwell in the, go to the bigger picture of the tabernacle, when we dwell in the outer court, you give the sacrifice, you come in with your sacrifice, you give your life to Christ, he is that sacrifice, he takes that over. Now we are in Christ, but we're still in the outer court. In the outer court, that's a good one, we can stay there. In the outer court, here our light comes from the natural world. Right? In this place, you're in the outer court. This is why I'm talking about the door in 24. You've got to get into the holy place in the holy of holies. Because if you stay out here in the outer court, where most Christians live their life in the outer court, their light, their direction, everything comes from the natural world. You get inside... The sun is hidden. The natural sun is hidden. And on the inside, there's a, another way of light. We'll go over that later. But there's another way of light. But it's not the natural world. The outer court still has you more attached to the natural world. And so you give your sacrifice, and then we got to go to the next step, even within that. And this is interesting. Uh, go to the laver. So, so this laver, I know it's not a great picture. I don't like it anyway. It's a laver. I want to talk about this laver. This laver is made out of bronze. Now, in the Old Testament, is it okay? I'm just kind of teaching today. I just, I, I want, I want to get this, because in the Old Testament, when they brought the stuff to make the tabernacle, 
the laver was made out of all of the mirrors. So the women in, of that day, they didn't have glass mirrors like we do. They had bronze and copper mixed mirrors that they had to shine up really good to see their reflection. And so they gathered up all of the mirrors to make this labor. It reminds me of a verse in James chapter 1. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. So what did they have to do with this? They had to do the sacrifice, and as you're part of the sacrifice, you would have blood on your hands. It, it just happens, right? You're going to kill an animal, boom, you got blood. Blood on your hands. You go through the process of the sacrifice. Now you come to this, this lever. In the lever, there's water. There were two parts to the lever. One part, you would wash your hands. One part, you would wash your feet. When you look in the lever, you're looking at the water as being crystal clear, and you would see yourself. And it would cause those that were, had retrospect would see themselves and understand they were not worthy. But as they took their hands that had blood and began to wash their hands in this water, then the blood would mix into the water and you could no longer see yourself, but you would begin to see the blood. And you would know that it was the blood that made you worthy. God's word talks about us being washed in the water of his word. When we become washed in the water of his word, while covered in his blood, we're going to find out that we are not worthy, but we can go in. You know, Jesus, when he hung on the cross, I'm going to say this again. I know I've said it a lot already. There's no coincidences in what God structures. He structured a sacrifice. He structured a place where you would go to this labor, and it was made out of mirrors, and you would look in that, and you would wash your hands. 
and he's hanging on a cross, and a Roman centurion sticks a sword in his side. And your Bible says blood and water flowed. Man, I tell you, the church... needs a new reverence for what God has done, is doing, and who he is. If we had a new reverence for what God has done, is doing, and who he is, we wouldn't do what we do. We can't, we can't get into that next step. We can't get into the holy place without the sacrifice. We can't get into the holy place without the washing of the water. We can't get in there. Living in this outer court is like a carnal Christian. They live saying they believe in God and they accept his sacrifice but they still live by the direction, knowledge, and understanding of things of this world. The disciples struggled even walking with Jesus because they never got the understanding that when he said his kingdom, he wasn't talking about here and now the way they saw it. They still were directed by the things of this world. Their understanding of the worldly things made it hard for them to understand what God was trying to do. And we're no different, right? We have, we have to get to a place because we have this natural understanding. And yes, I can accept the sacrifice Jesus gave. And yes, I can say he's God. But can I get to a place where I no longer rely on my understanding in the world and say, God, I need you to give me that understanding. I need you to direct my steps. In this year, some of us are going to walk out of outer court into the holy Some of us, it's time to decide, I don't want to stay in the outer court anymore. I don't want to just know God and accept his sacrifice and live wondering why I even do what I do. Do you know when you live in the outer court, you're so influenced by the things on the outside that, you know, I, I, just, know, I just know life. I know how I've lived. You're in the outer court. You're so influenced by the things on the outside natural world, then you can't figure out why this life with Christ doesn't work. Because you're not making decisions based upon God's direction. You're making them based upon the outer influences. You know, people hung out in the outer court. I need an answer. Stay in the outer court, you'll get the answer from man. Because they're all over. They're all over the outer court. You can go to all of them and get an answer. 
you, you want an answer from God, you've got to push in. The tabernacle in the wilderness. What an amazing replica or foreshadowing of Jesus. Matthew 16, 24 says this. If you're staying on the outside outer court, we haven't decided to give up our life. Jesus in Matthew 16 says, he is no fool who gives up. Oh, that's not him. Jim Elliott made this quote. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain, which he cannot lose. Throw Matthew 16, 24, and 25 up there, will you? Please. It's okay, I don't have it down. <laughs> and I wasn't quite able to quote it, so I had to. <laughs> I, I thought I put it there. Jesus says unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So today, just step one of the tabernacle, the outer court. We can hang out there all we want. You know, you might even end up in heaven. I say might because, I don't know, if you get bored in the outer court, you might walk right back out. Because, you know, if you're in the outer court, you're not really in the presence of God. You're not really seeking God. You're not really getting his direction. And eventually, at some point, you may just say, this ain't working for me. And you may walk away. And I had somebody ask me one time, do you believe in eternal security? Once saved, always saved. I said, well, I don't know about that. I said, I said I'm not sure. And the person said to me, well, Jesus said he'll never leave you or forsake you. And I said, yes, he said that. But nowhere in there does it say that we don't leave him. And if you think you can dwell with God in an outer court experience, never getting closer to God, that someday you may not just say, this isn't working for me. And walk right out of that outer court. I would almost say you think way too highly of yourself. Because I don't think that highly of me. I'd be afraid I won't stay there. I won't stay there. Maybe you will. That's where the thief was. On the cross. He made it to that outer court hanging on the cross. <laughs> But he never got to experience who God really is. But he made it because he only had a few hours to hang out there. 
You know what I'm saying? We had a few hours to hang out there. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So you can make it. And this morning, I just want, we're going to take communion. Real quick, I'm, I'm already, four, you know, past 12. But uh, I want to take communion as we think about the sacrifice that Jesus gave of, of his, his body on a cross, of his blood for the remission of our sin. And you know what? It gets us into the tabernacle. It gets us in. It, we're in the, in the outer court being able to partake of that sacrifice in his blood. And it gives us the avenue to walk through the next door. And I want to encourage you this week as we, as we take this communion. And uh, that we would reflect on what God did. Because that's what we're supposed to do, right? That's what Paul said. Take this in remembrance of me. And uh, so as we do that, I want us to, to consider this, that outer court experience with God. We're accepting his sacrifice. We're accepting his blood. But we're hungry to move into the holy place. And next week, I'm going to talk about the holy place. What's in it? What's in it? What's the parallels of the holy place and Jesus? What are some of the things that are in there? What do they mean? What is their value? And, uh, you know, I don't know, not trying to turn you into Jews or anything, but, you know. <laughs> We're grafted in. There's so much revelation. They're bringing the kids back in from kids' church so they can be part of the communion. And uh, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I know, can you feel the pressure? I mean, I feel the pressure of this new year. I, I feel like there's a, a heaviness to trying to break through it to what God wants to do. And I would dare bet every one of you sitting out there have been feeling that. And I'm telling you, we're going to break it. We're going to break it. We're going to push through. Can we move that to the middle then? Is that what you're thinking? Ah, I see what you're doing. This is a little different than doing it the other way, right? Is that all right? You know, instead of handing out the little communion cups, change is good. 
change. I don't want to change. They're going to spread out across the front. And, uh, you know, Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples in that upper room, you know, he talked about his life being sacrificed. And then later on, Paul talked about this revelation he received from Christ. That as we're taking this communion, that wine, that uh, I don't know, grape juice, whatever they got in there. It's a representation of the blood of Christ that he sacrificed for us. In that bread, you know, back in the day when they had to do this, you know, the first Passover was in Egypt, and they had to, they had to put blood on the doorpost to keep the death angel from uh, affecting their families, Right? And then Jesus became that blood that covers our life. He covers our lives. He washes away our sins. And then he said that he took the bread and he dipped it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Broken. And Isaiah talks about all the different things that go with that broken body, the healing the iniquity removed, the sin removed. All of the things that are that are taken care of by the broken body of Jesus. That sacrifice. So when you come up here, you know, just come up. They're gonna. You're, are they grabbing a piece, dunking it? Dunk, is that how that's working? All right. So you're going to come up, rip a little piece off, dip it in, keep your fingers out. Dip it, take it. And if you want to do that as a family, come up together, and we're just going to go through this. I know it takes a little longer this way, but um, I don't, it's, just, it's just different. It's the intimacy of it. You know, not just throw cups out, amen, out of here. Take your time and remember what God's done for you this morning. So if you want to just make three lines, one on each side, or four, yeah, sorry, three lines, one in the middle, two on each side. I'm going to pray real quick. Lord, I pray over this, 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 this grape juice, this blood. I pray over this bread that is a symbol of your body God I pray for it right now God that as we remember you and we participate in this communion remembering you that God your supernatural power will flow and any sickness would be healed any disease would be removed God you would restore health in the name of Jesus and God I also pray that we would be reminded of the price you paid for us and that our sacrifice, O oh God, doesn't compare. Hallelujah. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please like our podcast and leave us a five-star review. 
God bless and have an amazing week.